This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 3, Episode 3. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Good afternoon, Randy and Hi, Mark. So excited today, we're speaking with Mark Prensky, author of Education to Better the World, Unleashing the Power of 21st Century Kids. And Mark is our first author for season three, so really looking forward to talking with him. Um, As you may remember, Mark coined the term digital native back in 2001. He's currently the founder and executive director of the Global Future Education Foundation and Institute, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to promoting global empowered kids and empowering kids to better their world. Mark is a world-traveled speaker and has authored seven books and 100 essays, his master's degree from Harvard and Yale, and spent six years in Boston Consulting Group. He has experience in software game development and has taught at all levels. So welcome, Mark. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We've had the chance to read your book, and it's so inspiring uh, to, to read about a, a real vision uh, for education. And we're looking forward to digging into the ideas and learning some more from you this morning. Uh, so to start off our conversation, what was the driving question or the driving questions behind Education to Better the World? So when you were authoring this book, what kinds of questions were driving your curiosity? Thank you. Uh, I started out with my educational thinking probably a decade and a half ago with uh, education with uh, digital natives and it moved from first thinking that we needed more engagement and therefore games were a good solution and they were a partial solution then it was thinking that we needed a different kind of pedagogy a better pedagogy and that was true but again only a partial solution And then it was thinking that we needed a new and better curriculum, that we didn't teach the right things, and that was partially true. But in the end, what I really came to realize was that we have the wrong ends for our education, that we've been struggling for all these years to improve people intellectually, the young kids, and they come out improved intellectually in many cases, but then we have this huge bet on whether or not they will go out in their lives and improve the world. And it turns out that there is a better way to improve the world, that that should be our goal, and that kids can work with problems from the very beginning and learn to improve the world as they go through school, 
and then they will become world improvers for the rest of their lives. So in the end, it's a transition from improving individuals to bettering their world and improving in the process. So it sounds like we've had these iterations you described 15 years ago, going back and you've talked about these different iterations, these ways that we've thought about improving our system. And is it correct that now we've gone through these different iterations and now we're realizing that the system, if we connect it to what's going to happen in the future, that we really need a whole new system. There's no more iterations of this old system anymore. I think that the, to the extent that it's an academic system, that what we really offer is an academic, which is really a thinking-oriented education, that is no longer enough because it eliminates and it excludes the very, very important domain of accomplishment. And to accomplish, you need the skills of relationships and you need the skills of action. And if we're only going to focus on the academic side, we're really not going to give our future kids and our future world what it needs. So thinking about that, you in your book talk about um, our current system being wrong for the future. And you've identified we're not going to give their kids what they need for the future. Can you tell us a little more about the disconnect you see between K-12 education and our future world? Yes. And it's again, what I talked about in the beginning, that what we have developed, there are really two traditions of education in the world. One is the academic tradition of thinking, but the older tradition, and the more, in the sense, important tradition, is that of accomplishment, of getting things done. We always did that father to son, mother to daughter, apprentice, master to apprentice, and that tradition has gone into our businesses. We still do that. When you start a business, you become an intern, you work your way up in the business. The academic tradition has gone into, and if I can use the word, captured our schools so that our schools are only about thinking. And thinking is very important, but it's really only a small part of everything that people need in order to be effective. So you've, you've got these, these two worlds, this academic and the accomplishment world. And it, I think your vision, the difference, uh, in the thing that makes your vision different is this idea of the accomplishment piece, which is something that we're, we're missing uh, in our current model of education. So in your new vision, your education to better this world vision, talk to us a little bit more in depth about the idea of this accomplishment piece. What does that look like? What, what ways might we start to think about, um, I won't say integrating this into, but, but how, does this, how does thinking about this accomplishment piece really transform the paradigm of education and learning? There's a quote from the 18th century philosopher Thomas Carlyle that says, nothing builds self-esteem and self-confidence like accomplishment. People need to understand that they can make a difference and and make changes and improve the world that they live in. And they need to do this to understand that they can do this not by becoming somebody else, but by being who they are, by figuring out what they care about, what they're good at, 
what they're passionate about, and then learning to apply that to the real world. And that's really what life is about. But right now, we don't do that as our preparation for kids. We spend 12 to 20 years teaching them academic side and thinking, and then when they go into whatever job or profession they go in, they start over. They learn to accomplish, they learn to relate, they learn to do all these things that they haven't learned. That's a terribly inefficient way to run the world, especially when kids now have incredibly more powerful tools. In the past, kids couldn't go out and improve the world necessarily while they were young, except in physical ways that might have been abusive. But now that we live in a much more intellectual world in terms of the kinds of work we do, kids can start at the very early age making changes in their world and their environment through doing projects. And I think that's the big difference. When kids do projects that make changes that they can point to and say, see that? That was bad last year. This year it's better. And I and my team did that. That's a hugely empowering kind of education. It's very different than the why am I learning this that we get from our kids that I got from my kid this morning. So if we say that we want the learning in our classrooms to be more relevant, is one of the ways to think about that, to think about what is what can kids do that fits into this accomplishment piece? Is there a connection between accomplishment and relevancy? I don't like the word relevant. I like the word real instead, because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that I teach you math in a way that math that, that you don't need in a way that sort of helps you think about it in terms of football or some whatever year or music or whatever. That's good, but it's not enough. What you need to understand is that your love of football or your love of music or your love of whatever it is can be used and applied to make a better world. And of course, in the process, that's how you learn your living. So applied passion is really what I think kids should have. And I think it's not making the education we already have more relevant. It's making an education that fits the kids we have. You mentioned um, this idea of students accomplishing, and one way that they can accomplish is through real world improving projects um, and uncovering their passions. So can you tell us what makes a good real world improving project in your mind? Sure. The, again, the real world improving project is one that any kid who has been part of that project can point to as saying, I and my team did that, and look, the world is better. And let me give you, uh, here's an early example from, I just read a book by an author, you may have interviewed this author, I won't name the author, uh, who talks about with pride how they went out into, they, they took some, I think, kindergarten kids or first graders, and they went out into the community and they interviewed 
the uh, shopkeepers and they came back and they wrote a report with their big conclusion that the shopkeepers would really like the kids to be more polite. Okay, that's, that's nice. That's what an academic report does. <laughs> where they didn't go and where they could have gone was to say, okay, how can we change our community and make our kids more polite and have the relationships between the shopkeepers and the kids improve? And that's what kids can do these days. They can connect with every single kid, every single peer via social media, via whatever they do. They can make the suggestions. They can evaluate. They can conduct experiments. And when they do that, they can say what they really should be able to say, which is our community is a whole lot better because we did this project. We found out that there was a problem in the world, and we solved it. And that can go all the way from kindergarten all the way up to through college. Colleges are starting to do this now. There are project-oriented colleges, but there's no preparation because K-12 has not prepared the kids for doing these projects. Think of what they could do if they had had 12 years of preparation and then by the time they're college age and have college professors helping them, they're going out and doing these things. And what I discovered as I started looking is that you can pick any age and the kids somewhere are already doing these kinds of projects. So kids have learned that they can, if they have a 3D printer, they can download the uh, plans to build prosthetic hands from Enable, which is a site. But then they go further and say, well, we can make prosthetic hands, but for whom? So let's use our social media to go out, find kids who need hands, make custom hands for the kids who do, and therefore have a, com uh, a community or a place where nobody needs a prosthetic hand and doesn't have one because we've solved that problem. That's middle school. High school kids can do even more. They can go out and start fixing things in the world, like the there's a project to fix the Arecibo radio telescope, which needs cleaning. And the kids can devise a project and a set of robots, and it's pretty complex, to actually clean that telescope and then other telescopes. So what I believe is that kids are empowered today if we guide them to find and solve a lot of our real world problems, problems that they see local, national, global, and that we are wasting this opportunity. As one of my friends says, who was a superintendent of a small district like you, we basically warehouse our kids for the 12 years. We put them in a place where they are accomplishing nothing. We don't add any value to the world from them. We warehouse them. We try to put some stuff into their heads more or less successfully. And then eventually we let them out of the warehouse and then they have to fend for themselves. That's a terrible, terrible thing to do to our kids. Mm -hmm. 
And just to follow up on the projects in your book, you have um, in Chapter 7 some a great way to articulate the categories of real world projects. So for teachers, leaders to really get a handle on what does that look like, there are some examples there and um, thought provoking, thought provoking ideas to get started. There are so many categories that kids can now help with. They can help with better infrastructure. They can, lots of places, infrastructure is crumbling. If they see a red light, they can learn how to fix it. They can design a better light system for a town or a city. They can, they can improve. In many cases, they have have helped traffic lights in Haiti after a storm, after the after the huge earthquake. Kids worked on improving and repairing traffic lights in places where our infrastructure is crumbling. Kids can really work to help rebuild it, if not doing the physical work, doing a lot of the thinking work that needs to go into this. Kids can improve our health care. They see issues in health care and people not connecting and things that need to be done, things that could be invented. Kids are capable of doing this. Kids are capable of improving our political system. Kids are imp- capable are, of improving so much in the world. And these categories can are just growing. They can restore many of our historical uh, traditions and needs and things that we can't afford to restore. But kids can go out and do this. And I think that the more we think about these projects, the more we think about what kids could possibly do, the more we will find that they can do. And often it's things that we just don't have the money or the ability to do uh, by ourselves as adults. If we want to create a real-world project, we want to connect to learners' passions. And I think you talk about this in your book. So what are some ways that I, as a teacher, might go about uncovering my learners' passions? Most teachers don't ask. They don't even think it's their job to ask. I interview lots of kids and I say, how many kids know how many of your teachers know that you are have a passion for this? And they will usually say one or two, maybe at the most. I interview a group of teachers and I say, how many of you know all your kids' passions? And none of them raise their hand because it, they don't. And it really only takes a few minutes to ask and to write down the answer. So first step is knowing, just asking, having the conversation around this. The next step is thinking about how to apply these passions. So it's a kid, many people say, well, my kids are all passionate before becoming a rock star or becoming a basketball star. And I said, that's great, but let's go deeper. We all know that not everybody will become a uh, basketball star, a Seth Curry, for example. But did you know that on a professional basketball team, there are 300 people, only 12 of whom play basketball? So there are lots of other roles. If basketball is your passion, you can connect in whatever way your particular strengths and passions lead you. So the three most important questions for a teacher to know, ask and know about every kid are, what are the problems in the world that you see and care about? What are you 
good at? What are your strengths that might contribute to helping solve these problems? And third, what do you love to do? Because we don't want kids who are, who are great at, at, at math but hate it. We want people who love whatever it is that they are doing. And if we put those together with what we see in the world, what kids see in the world, what companies see in the world, what NGOs see in the world, what governments see in the world, and ask the question, what do we need to do that we don't do today that kids could actually do? Then that's how we find projects. We don't make them up as teachers. We don't need to do that. There's plenty of problems in the world that the kids can find that they care about. And if they're the only person in the world who cares about this particular problem or frog or whatever it is, they can use the Internet to find many other kids who care about that because it's a big connected world now. So the projects need to be a, a combination of what the kids care about and what other people think might need to be done that kids could help with. And that's, that's a matching process. We're actually good at matching these days. We do it on Amazon <laughs> with books. We do it on, on you know, with, with people. We're good at doing that. And so this, I think, that's the technological side of this. All we need to do is match the kids' interests and passions and what they want to do with the things in the world that people want to get done that are important and that are at the level of each kid. And we will be able to improve the world in many, many, many ways. So one of the things we really need to consider is rethinking our curriculum in order to achieve what you've just um, expressed. So tell us how the curriculum in a better their world model would differ would differ from the traditional uh, math, English, science, social studies, or mess, as you call it, of our current model. We decided a number, a hundred years ago, that there were some four subjects, math, English, science, social studies, that would be useful to give to all kids for their entire K-12 lives and, and almost all the same things. What we've discovered now is that those particular subjects are, relative, are relevant only to some of the kids for some of the things that they do. But what everybody needs is the skills of effective thinking, effective action, effective relationships, and effective accomplishment. And those skills can be broken down into many, many areas that are uh, human knowledge and human development. Those skills are useful for everything that kids do. A skill, for example, like negotiation. Doesn't matter what a kid is interested in or loves or wants to do, negotiation will someday be important. It doesn't matter whether a kid likes sports or music, grit will someday be important. So what we really need to do is figure out how to communicate and teach these skills to the kids. And they're not one-time things. They're lifelong skills. They're skills that we want the kids to understand exist and to keep getting better at for their entire lives. So that's the underlying curriculum, is knowing those skills. 
But the real curriculum, what kids do every day, is projects. Is the projects that they come into school, that they get excited about because they've chosen them, they do them, and the teacher, as their coach, says, okay, well, you're doing this. Well, it would really help if you knew a little bit more about project planning, and then we can bring in some project planning. It would really help if you knew a little bit more about team dynamics, so we can learn a little bit more about team dynamics. But the best time for anybody to learn about these things is when they are part of a project, something that they are trying to accomplish. So let's shift the conversation um, to something that really makes up the future a lot, uh, and that's technology. And that was one of the chapters in your book that I really connected with. So talk to us a little bit about how technology in this new vision, this better, better their world model, how does that look different than in the current system? How do we need to think differently about technology? Well, more and more kids in the world have technology. They have a smartphone in their pocket, which is essentially a supercomputer from many years ago. And that's the technology that we typically don't use in school. What we do is we say, okay, we want to use, quote, technology to do the things that we've always done in school. We can use technology for reading. We can use technology for research. We can use technology for keeping records. We can use technology for putting forth a curriculum. We could do those things without technology. So using technology and particularly creating dedicated technology to do these things is a waste of time and money. What isn't a waste of time and money is using the powerful technologies kids have to solve problems, to do projects. So when somebody comes up along that they need something, they can easily ask Siri or ask Wolfram Alpha, which is a very powerful uh, database and calculating uh, app through Siri for something that they need. And that's what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. They're not going to pull out some specialized educational technology. They're going to pull out their cell phone or whatever replaces it and say, I'm going to use this to help me do something. And that's really where we need to go with technology. The second place is if we are going to create some kinds of technology, let's create technology that helps kids do projects, that helps kids improve the world, that collects all the projects in databases, that gives them suggestions about where they might go next or what they might look for. We don't have those technologies and we're not inventing them. So uh, I th- your idea of, of uh, keeping a database of the dis- different projects, we'll put a link to that in the show notes on your Global Empowered Kids site um, where you're starting mm-hmm. to do that. And that's just the beginning. And I, that is really right now a prototype. But I envision, and I hope to build and fund during this next year or coming years, a database of every single project that a kid has done in the world, and this is worldwide, with uh, that you can search, of course, by age and grade and subject and all this, but also all the projects that I and everybody else in the world thinks that kids could do and would be useful if they did do. And not only that, but 
projects that companies think kids could do. Could you imagine if there were an officer in a company whose job it was to say, what can we extract from our company as projects that kids could do in school as part of their education that would help us? And NGOs and governments. I've spoken with politicians. What don't we collect? What could we do that kids could really help do? And have those all in a big, publicly available, free, worldwide database in which you could go and type in, uh, I'm looking for uh, projects for for third graders who are really interested in uh, deciduous trees. I'm looking out my window in helping deciduous or helping the forest or whatever it is. And lots of ideas would pop up of things kids have done, of things kids could do, of things, and and then from that, we will discover more and more, and I think this will grow to thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of projects uh, very quickly. So that sounds very exciting and ambitious, (laughs) but certainly a valuable resource um, for our teachers and our leaders and for all of us to contribute to. So thinking about this idea of students working on projects to their passions and problems, the role of the teacher really has to shift. Uh, we're no longer content providers, but now empowerers. So talk to us a little bit about your ideas related to how that shift occurs. Well, that's going to be an, a very, very important, uh, but a little bit complex shift. Teachers are told and I have talked to many people who become teachers later in life and started, teachers are told that their job is to provide content to kids. And therefore, most teachers that I talk to think that they have no time to do anything else because there's so much content in the, in the curriculum and in the books. But what if those teachers realized that there's a second job the job of empowering and the job of coaching kids in terms of the projects that they think they did. And what if they took a portion of their time, say 20%, one day a week, and they decided to do something else, and we helped them understand how to do something else. There are really two jobs here. That's what's important to realize. There's the content provider job, which most teachers know well or are learning to do well, and there's the coaching and empowering job. Now, one of the interesting things is you could say, well, how can we compare those jobs? How can we compare those two educations? And one way to do it would say, okay, we're going to have schools where the kids do the old content, and we're going to have schools where the kids do projects. But that doesn't help either one, because if one's better than the other, half the kids are losing out. So suppose we did this. Suppose we said, we're going to do a week of content and a week of projects, or a month of content and a month of projects, or we're going to intersperse them so that all kids do both and all teachers learn to do both. And when we see, and I'm sure we will see, that the projects are are more successful, the kids come home happier, they they learn more, they, they accomplish more, we'll gradually phase out the content side. But we have to be able to transition because people have to learn how to function in a 
very different job and context. What's nice is that I believe lots and lots of our teachers, I don't know what percentage, but I bet it's a very large percentage, are interested in doing this. That they want to, that they realize already that what they do, the content delivery, is not really helping their kids as much as they would like to. And therefore, they're looking for new ways to do this. Now, I work with a, a, a very fine teacher named Esther Wojcicki here in Palo Alto, who has been for 31 years teaching at Palo Alto High School and who does this kind of empowering teaching uh, very, very well, probably better than anyone I know. And she is also working to try to get teachers to try the new kind of teaching. And her conclusion is that if we just start with one day a week, like Google does, 20% of your time doing something different, that we can move people in new directions. So that's talking about moving teachers in new directions. Let's talk a little bit about leaders and leadership. Many of the people that listen to this podcast are leaders in their schools or their school districts. So what can they do tomorrow or in the near future to think about and actually take action in shifting their role from leading the, the way that they lead now to the way that they um, should be leading for the education to better their world model? The role of, of leadership has many components. And I think that the one that is most missing from today's leadership in education is the vision of where we could go that's different from today. So we can paint, I think the role of, of a real educational leader would be let's paint in your mind the vision of something that is really, really better, that kids would love, that parents would love when the kids come home happy, and that for all of us improves the world we live in and get people excited about the fact that that vision is possible. What now happens is it's kind of a micromanagement up the old uh, kind of education, doing it better, a little bit better, a little bit um, with more technology, with other things. That kind of leadership is not taking us to where we want to do. So the book that I wrote, Education to Better Their World, is a vision book. It's really a book saying, here's another way to look at what education is. And those leaders, the superintendents, the uh, hopefully it would be the national leaders of education, leaders in different countries that I've worked with and spoken with, who say, look, let's forget about climbing the PISA tables. Let's forget about climbing these things. And the reason we need to forget about it is because the emperor has no clothes. Because that really gets us nothing. We think it does. We say it does. You could get perhaps elected on moving your country up a couple of notches on Pisa. But that is not helping your kids. What's helping your kids is preparing them for a future world in which they will have to accomplish using their tools, using their interests, using their passions, and applying their passions to making a better world. 
So we've talked a lot about what you've been doing, and I'm certainly making connections to your other uh, writings, previous writings. Um, you talked about working on this database of projects. What else are you working on? What are you currently working on now? And what's next for you, Mark? The next project that I have that I would like to get done in, in only a couple of months from now and that I hope you guys will be involved in as well is the sequel to the vision book, which is the how-to book. How do we get this? What can politicians do who come to me often? What can administrators do? What can teachers do? What can students do? What can community members do in order to start making these changes? And we're going to have a list of things that they can do and a list and, and commentaries from people who have done some of these things so that it seems possible. And we will give people a roadmap a path. Not everybody will do the same thing. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that if we all have an essential vision of education as improving the kids and our world, and improving is something that we all have to discuss and think about what that means, if we have that vision, then there can be freedom to do it in many, many, many kinds of ways, thousands of ways, as long as we respect the kids, talk about what the kids can do, what they are capable of accomplishing, see them as a force for good in the world, help them see themselves as a force for good in the world, which we don't do enough of today. Mm -hmm. And I'll leave the, the, this really got to me from a quote from St. Augustine that I saw um, inscribed on a wall. In essentials, unity, in all else, liberty, and in everything, charity. The essentials are that we see education, not just improving individuals, but improving the world and improving the individuals in the process. The liberty is in all the many ways that everybody who is interested can do this, and they will vary tremendously. And the charity is really looking at our kids in a respectful way, seeing them as fellow citizens, fellow people who at whatever stage they are can contribute enormously to making the world a better place to live in. And that sounds like the perfect way to end our interview with you, Mark. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, to learn more about Mark's work, you can visit markprinsky.com, Education to Better the World. You can connect with Mark on Twitter at Mark Prinsky, and also check out Global Empowered Kids, and we'll link those in the show notes. Well, thanks again, Mark. It's been uh, an inspiring read for us uh, and inspiring having this conversation with you uh, because I think we're on the same page in that this idea of vision is something that really is lacking in education and something that we need to focus more on, and, and your work uh, really helps us do that. So we appreciate that and appreciate the time that you spent having this conversation with us this morning. My pleasure, and I, I hope that anybody who shares these ideas will both read the book, but more importantly, connect with me as we build a, a group of interested parties who will help our kids take the actions we need. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, 
With the current structural and policy constraints of public education, what steps can you take now to empower learners in your school? What might the world be like if student projects were passion-driven, systemic, as Mark describes in Education to Better Their World, and embedded throughout the school day? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 3, Episode 3. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one- or two-sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Bye-bye. Thank you both. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.